I first heard this from Steve, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is this? Like, <laughs> I was in the S&P 500 world where it's an average 10% a year. Like, And then he's like, yeah, it's like 47% a year. and 47% IRR? Yeah, it's insane. Right. How's it going, everybody? I'm Eric Panecki. I'm David Troy. And I'm John Labretti. And welcome to the Deals and Dollars podcast. The three of us are real estate executives in the New York City metro area. Every week, we bring on the best real estate investors and entrepreneurs we know to talk about how they made it in the business, how they source their deals, and most importantly, how they make their dollars. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. All right, let's get into it. Let's ride! Let's ride! <laughs> Today we have a really special guest, the founder of Let's Ride, who I stole it from years ago. Nolan Borgerson, he, he's, he's an incred incredible entrepreneur. He's got two different companies right now. Nolan, I don't want to speak for you. Can you just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's been a, a long time coming. But yeah, I am a recent father of two, first of all. I have seven-week-old seven twins with my beautiful wife, Corinne, who knows David very well. I recently have become the chief strategy officer of a new company, Stephen Lewis Capital, and I am the senior managing director and head of capital markets for Vitreous Loan Group, which is our second company. But that has all come within the last 18 months, two years, so it's been a crazy ride. But here we are now. It's been awesome. It's been, a, it's been really cool. It's not what I thought I would be doing, but very glad I am. Amazing. So why don't you just start off telling people about Stephen Lewis Cap or, or whatever, Virtuous Cap, whatever you want to start with. Yeah, I, I can give you a background about how I kind of got into Vitreous and how that led to Stephen Lewis. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the, the progress, uh, how it happened. But out of college, I went to Boston College, did my MBA there, and I was actually training to try to be an athlete and professional football player. Wasn't good enough. So I said, I'll be the next best thing. I'll be a financial advisor. So out of college, I was a financial advisor for a while. I really enjoyed it. It was a good time. But the thing with that is if you do it for long enough, you're going to retire doing it because your book starts paying for itself. And I just couldn't really, I was like looking out. I was like, do I want to be a financial advisor for 35 years. And I didn't. So I started looking around on Indeed just casually and saw the title Loan Trader for Vitreous Loan Group. No idea what it was. Never been in the debt side of things. Didn't know anything about loans. Never been into real estate or any of that. But the potential income was the highest out of all the jobs listed. <laughs> so I was like, let's go with that one. And I'm, I'm very glad I did. I called them up and started working there about 18 months ago. And really, Vitreous Loan Group is a loan trading desk, right? We act as a uh, intermediary in the secondary market, primarily on the commercial real estate side. So we'll help like middle market banks and credit unions participate out large commercial deals to other banks and credit unions, buying institutions. So we do a lot of participations for like two to $20 billion banks and credit unions. And recently kind of got into the, the non-QM space, the bridge space, DSCR, in kind of a response to what was going on in the commercial market and banks having liquidity issues and not being able to, you know, have money to buy anything. So I, I kind of started right when Powell decided to, you know, start the interest rate hike. So I probably started in capital markets, like at the worst possible time you could. But I think it gave myself and the founders of the company who, you know, I, I work with very closely, my three partners, like the ability to kind of 
shuck and jive and be agile in the market, which we had to be to survive because if we were only going to participate out commercial real estate deals, we weren't going to make it, right? Mm. So, you know, we, we did a lot of moving and, and, and being agile, which you need to be in a small company, especially because if you're, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, definition of insanity, right? So we're like, let's try to see what else we can do. So the non-QM market has been, has been a big area of focus for us, specifically like whole loans and helping lenders and um, life insurance companies and pension funds and family offices, whoever it is, um, help buy and sell. Example, we did just a you know, $50 million DSCR deal between a life insurance company and uh, a lender. Oh, wow. You know, we're working in the bridge space in the, uh, we just, the NPN market's getting big, but all that being said, we still need to focus on, you know, our base of clients who are credit unions and how beautiful they are and the commercial stuff, which is finally starting to open back up. Liquidity's kind of coming back, but I think we had the foresight of seeing what the Fed was going to do and mm. how that was all going to work. Started making moves early enough to be able to, you know, get some successful trades done outside of our normal bread and butter. And then all within that happening, create a new company that has nothing before to do you with go there. Before, yeah. you before, you go. before you go there, that's, oh, yeah. that's I got to stop a little bit about <laughs> yeah. it gets really crazy once we get to Stephen Lewis Capital. Uh, it is, it is yeah, amazing. that's a whole other conversation. But l- let me just dive in a little bit for the audience. No, what, what's a DSCR loan? So you're a big investor, right? So you want to get a rental property and you want to get a loan. Well, what happens is when you go to a traditional bank for a loan and your uh, your credit and background, you have thirty thousand mortgages, and they're like what? What's going on here? Yeah. It just gives you, it's a special investor um, purpose loan specifically for investors where you don't have to, you know, lift up your skirt completely as far as showing, yeah. uh, you know, lenders what, what you got going on. Tax, ret- instead of doing tax returns and all the, all the documents the that you need to loan. fill out yeah. with, with a bank, a DSCR lender is, is, is what you call like a no doc loans, if you yes, will. Yes. Exactly. And, and non-QM yeah. is pretty much the same thing. Yep. It, it's uh non-qualified mortgages. You don't have to go crazy filling out documents. The loan gets closed significantly faster. It does. And, and typically rates are just a pip, pip higher, a, a little, little bit higher, higher you but know, a little less stuff to look at. So maybe yeah. a little more risk. So a little higher rates. Which, exactly. Exactly. Um, people like yeah. some people. And it's I, funny, you, you not to cut you off, but it's funny you bring that up because I know we were talking a little bit prior to this, you know, about what I do, what you do, and you're, you know, I'm on one side and you're on yeah. the whole other side. So yeah. for me, right, obviously prior to all these interest rate hikes, I was doing a lot of bank deals and I still am, but I've seen a major uptick in these DSCR loans, yeah. right? And especially the programs that you guys are offering. It's, you know, you're right when you say it's a slight uptick in, in some of these rates, right? You're probably looking at, I'd say the typical bank or credit union now is six, six and a quarter, six and a half. Yep. So you're probably somewhere in the sevens, Yeah, you know, set maybe eights, but eights. I'm, I'm, yeah, so I'm just curious, yeah. like, like I know what I've been seeing on my side, but I'm curious how it's affecting your side on the securitization mm-hmm. and the sell side on the secondary. Yeah, so when you look at, I think, outside of, like, being a commercial real estate with a five to six to a DSCR and seven or eight, it's more about who's looking to buy those that type of paper mm-hmm. where banks and credit unions are looking to buy more commercial, vanilla, 30-year AMR, all the normal stuff we see. And that took a big hit because no one has liquidity, right? Liquidity is yep. gone. So that's why that kind of stopped up where the buyers of a DSCR type paper might be a life co or an asset manager. And they have far more liquidity than the banks and credit unions do for the ultra vanilla Cree deal. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where we kind of made the pivot to, cause we're like, all right, well who has the money? 
and a LifeCo has money and an asset manager with 13 billion under it has money. And they're looking for this specific type of paper because it has higher returns and it's still a safe play for a lot of their funds to offer to investors. So I think we kind of just said, all right, well, who has liquidity right now and what can we offer them and kind of made that connection between the two. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's really smart. You got to follow the demand. You got it. You got to follow demand. And I had the same thing on like the bridge and the RTL side, which is like, you know, you want to fix it, flip, fix and flip a house and you want $100,000 into it and you don't have it, you get a 12-month $100,000 loan. And when you look at that as an asset manager, you're like, I can offer, I can get 12% in, in 365 days. That's good for your investors too. So the, the asset manager life co side of things are kind of where the market took us, but still hammering the phones for credit unions and, and you know, making sure we're taking care of them too, because they built our company. Got it. Now that that's, it's super interesting for me to hear being on like the whole other side yeah. of the spectrum. Yeah. So this is kind of like a loaded question, but when you're, so like for me, right, when I'm looking for new business, new lenders, right, I'm picking up the phone, I'm calling new banks, new credit unions to see who's lend, are you lending? If so, what are you lending on? Where are you at leverage wise rate, this, that, the other, when I'm looking for clients, right, probably the same thing we all do to find new clients for you, when you're looking for new people or new institutions to buy paper, how do you, what's like your, your go-to strategy to kind of find those new buyers? Yeah. So in the credit union and bank space, like thankfully 5300s exist, which are like the call reports. So we can kind of see beyond like, you know, what they have on the balance sheet, what they're buying, if they're active in participations, you know, what's big on their balance sheet, what they're looking for. So that's one way. But like when I started, like finding a seller of paper was like the hardest thing in the world. The fact that we had a, a few big banks, credit unions that were keeping us flush with paper, like people were lining up the door to buy a 103 commercial, like paying a premium for like a 4% rate because of where the five-year treasury was mm -hmm. at, right? So they just look at the spread between the five-year and, and the rate. And now, like, when I'm reaching out to people, are you active in the market? Yes or no? The I say yes, buyer or seller, everyone's a seller. So I think <laughs> because everyone has too many loans in their books mm -hmm. um, and no one That's has liquidity. Great. So the buyers and sellers kind of flipped as far as, yeah. you know, supply and demand. <clears throat> so when we're reaching out to, you know, credit unions and banks and we do find someone with liquidity, who is still buying, we are super focused on those guys and mm -hmm. making sure we can do everything we can to, you know, supply them with what we need because the outlier <clears throat> is the the bank who's like, yeah, I'm looking for $20 million of a multifamily deal in these states. So right. it's difficult to find buyers, but when you do, you have to, you know, really put your focus to them and kind of do reverse increase, right? This is what these guys are buying. Like, let's go source that paper. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that way we're always keeping them happy because, Sometimes we have to turn away sellers. Like we have to. We're like, listen, like we're, we, I would love to help you, but we're not going to be able to move this because there's no market. And if you want par or par and a quarter, like that's, I'm sorry, like we yeah, have, it's just and, not going to happen. And we're a small company, so like the the one thing we probably have struggled with at times is taking on every deal that walks into the door, right? Mm -hmm. Like. We got another seller. We got another seller. Like it was being like the yes man. You don't want to turn it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Yo, Steve, I just got two hundred million dollars of paper. Like this is the best uh, thing ever." And then we look at it and we're like, "Who's gonna buy this?" Right. Yeah. So, um, and you know the the C suite. There's there's four of us, and you know we really have to be selective now as far as our resources and and what mm. we want to do because we don't want to you know do a bad job for someone or, or not be able to live up to a promise right. um, by saying we can do this and when you can't. So mm -hmm. sometimes you just have to say. I'm sorry, like we're you know we're not going to be able to do this. Yeah, and they appreciate that more times than not. They're like, thank you, like that's good market. Have you ever had to like? Because I know there's a lot of people that come to me and be like, hey, can you you want to partner in a deal? Can you raise the money? And now 
you know, I got my hands full, and I'm like, I'm always itching for a new, a great deal, a new deal. But now I'm telling, I'm saying no. I'm saying, yeah. Don't, I can't. Sometimes I'm, I'm, you have to. I got my hands full. I can't look at deals. And um, my biggest fear is, what if I don't close because because uh, it's my fault, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to have you ever had to like let seller uh, a seller down on a- more times than I care to admit for sure? Because <laughs> when I when I first started, I was like, I mean, I'm a new guy. I'm, I'm working with the founders. They're in the offices next door. I'm like one of the only guys in the office. Everyone else was remote. So like, for me coming into a new company with the three founders next to me. I was like, I need to impress these guys and be able to get everything I possibly can. Right. And then everyone I got on the phone before like actually talking to these the founders, I should have been like, can we do this? I was like, yeah, we can do that. And then, you know, three <laughs> months of phone calls without anyone even sniffing what they were looking for as far as pricing or even putting a bid out there. I had to go back and be like, sorry, like, right. Or yeah. like, hey, we didn't move this. Like, And then when they have paper that you can move, they're probably not coming to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we yeah. had to learn to be like, hey, like this is like this is what you want to sell. Like this is what the market is right now. Like this is what you can get. And if you have that, like I'm, I want to be transparent. Vitreous actually means transparent, and I think Greeks, uh, Latin. Yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to be as transparent as possible. Like, right. Listen, like this is going to be really tough to move. I'm sorry. Like this is where the market's going to be, and people do appreciate that in the long run more than saying you can and then you can't. It, mm-hmm. It's like that transparency and expectation setting. Is so freaking important. Mm-hmm. I just got off the phone with the seller. I have um, bourbon in my hand. Um, <laughs> I just got off the seller uh, off the phone with my attorney, seller, and her attorney. And she's telling me all the things that my uh, acquisition manager and my transaction coordinator did wrong, right? And I'm I'm just sitting there, just like, oh my god. And I and I can't go. I can't just blame it on people. It's my at the end of the day, it's my fault, mm-hmm. right? It's my company. So had had you know my acquisition manager set the right expectations, was transparent, right, and just say no to the deal if we weren't able to get, get it able to get it done, it wouldn't have cost me five thousand dollars just now, right? You know what I mean? Um, so it's tough to say no, though. It's, it's tough to say no, especially when you're a new company. Like mm-hmm. when yeah. you're a new company and you're or a new employee at a company, like. The only thing you want to do is like bring Make in, rain. bring in deals, yeah. Yeah. bring in money. You want to like, be the yes man. You, you want to yeah. help everybody. Unfortunately, I learned quickly that that's sometimes just not the way to do it because you'll miss opportunities that your attention should should have been because you're trying to move this something something mm-hmm. that's not right. not possible mm-hmm. or, or very unrealistic. And then, you know, I, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I made early on in, in my career with Vitreous was spreading my resources too thin or chasing the. The elephant in the room, like yep, the, yep. The whale hunting, which, yeah, yeah. My, Shiny object which my, my partner still yelled at me about, but like <laughs> doubles and singles win, the, win, yes. right? They mm-hmm. doubles and singles win. So like my, my founder the other day was like, listen, like if you can do, you know, $3 million a week from a bank or credit union on participations, like there's a hundred grand, like that's it for a yeah. year. Like that, and that's not hard to do if you can do it. Um, so I think really focusing on like, Hey, like. I do want that $100 million DSCR pool <laughs> to be sold to a life insurance company and make a bunch of money. But um, when that doesn't happen and you haven't been doing the the small stuff or loading your pipeline with stuff that makes sense, mm-hmm. then you end Listen, up, dude, you you just, end up yeah. being real upset. Yeah. You just closed the whale, though, though. Yeah. You yeah. just closed a $50 million whale. Well, they, they work 
it, it works really well when you have other stuff going on, and that's just gravy on top. Right? Yeah, because you know all the small stuff's going to close, right? right. Like, I, I right. have one, two, three, four million dollar deals that are, con- you know, not constantly, but, but pretty regularly closing. And, like, yeah. you know, when you get the 20 or 30, 40 million dollar deal, it's great yeah. if it closes awesome, but if not, you still have stuff in the yeah, pipeline. And I, to anyone who's new in any industry, like, that's one of the biggest advice I can give because I did that, and I still do it, to yeah. be honest, like, sometimes, especially in a market that's hard to get doubles and singles. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if it's hard, like, why don't I go for a home run? But it's just such a, a smaller, smaller win rate. And uh, it's taken me, uh, you know, a while to understand that. But um, once you do, and then you that home run, the home runs always happen to hit, hit when you're not really focusing on them yeah. always. And I did like the same thing as a financial advisor. I was like, let me get the guy who has 10 million bucks who can like, put into put with me and, you know, do this premium. And then that guy backs out in the last second mm-hmm. and you weren't talking to the 15 people who can give you a 10 grand a month or whatever it yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you know, and, um, it, it always hurts more when those big deals don't close when mm. you're not focused on the small stuff. Yeah. You know what this reminds me? Have you ever seen the movie Margin Call? Oh, dude, I, I should have watched I should have watched this. I watched that, that a few times and never finished it. When we were just talking about sound, like the Margin Call is like great movie for anybody listening who has not seen it. Margin Call awesome movie yeah. but us talking about like selling things on the secondary market it reminds yeah. me exactly of that because they have like a fire sale like right into the movie and they're selling like 200 300 million dollar securitized packages of like 30 year fixed mortgages mm-hmm. at like 40 50 cents in the dollar yeah well, like it's, it's crazy you should watch it well, but it reminds the, me of this the non-performing note market is oh the amount mm-hmm. of people who are now selling non-performing notes and is that uh, is there, you seen a huge uptake on that yeah dude oh no i got great news for you my friend yeah my, I was just at Collective Genius, uh, which is mastermind I go to once a quarter. I hate going. Like, the thought of going sucks, but when I go there, I leave making hundreds, of, at minimum hundreds of thousands of dollars in yeah. business. Yeah. It's always just surprising, but I was with a good buddy of mine. We actually own a property together. We're closing a property in July together. 79 unit in in uh, Austin, New York. Great, great guys. Young cats, they've been, they, uh, they dropped out of college at 19, and let me tell you, these, these, these guys, I want to call them kids, but they, they are just monsters. They're, right? They're making $2 million in net profit a year on their singles and doubles, mm-hmm. right? And then what they do is they, you know, they, they said, you know what, I, I, I got this business. Jake's, Jake's running one, asset managing and running the singles and double business, mm-hmm. He's like the calm one of the group, right? Yeah. Twins, by the way, for <laughs> your, for your, maybe hopefully your kids hopefully do this one day, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> but I love these guys. The mm. Jake is, is like the calm one. Austin is a wild car. He's a yeah. maverick. He's, whoa. Yeah. He called, <laughs> he's texting me at 1.30 a.m. while I'm in Collective Genius. He's like, money don't sleep, and he's dancing in front of a mirror at the gym, right? I'm like, this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, nuts. Then he texts me at 6 a.m. that morning. I'm like, damn, you slept like four hours, bro. And, and he's like, he's, he's texting me like the messages he's got from a seller, like screenshots. And then he's building massive rapport where the seller is sending pictures of bears to him. Right? I'm like, this guy is the best closer I've ever met. Yeah. Anyway, I was sitting with those two um, at dinner. And Jake was like, listen, I have access to about $50 million right now. And I don't know how to spend this money because my, my, my investor is looking for an outsized return. I don't want to make promises I can't keep. And I said, listen, it's probably, you're going to probably find those outsized returns in a non-performing note business, mm-hmm. right? Loan-to-own type situations mm-hmm. in red states where you're not in a, you're not, it doesn't take you two, three years to foreclose, right? Sometimes yeah. five to ten, right? Yeah. Like yeah. the note package you sent me in yeah. New York, they, they were, they, that guy, they were trying, they've been trying to foreclose since like 2018, yeah. man. Listen, don't uh, shoot the messenger, right? <laughs> <laughs> I read the note, I read the 
at the table. I was like, oh, Lord, I can't yeah. take over. This yeah. guy's an animal. Yeah. Uh, but for guys that have liquidity, which I, I can make an introduction, by the way, but he's, he's, he's got a lot of liquidity right now. He's trying to deploy. Are you seeing large multifamily notes, non-performing notes trading below par? I would say residential packages are more... I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> Residential are more common, but we we just got a commercial tape. There was two of them. I mean, that was a $52 million commercial tape, but there was probably six loans on it, seven loans on it. Where? Mostly New York is tough for a closer uh, state, but there's okay, some yeah. Florida, some Texas. Okay. Um, the problem with my company um, when it comes to the MPN world is that there's like, we're an intermediary, right? So like we're, you know, they're not our loans and we're not buying the loans. We're just marketing them out for a seller, but... Um, there's a definite disconnect between the seller of non-performing nodes and people who are looking to buy um, because the seller doesn't want to hear that the bid's 40, but the bid should be 40. Yeah. So, and they, they're like, oh, I'll just balance sheet it and just keep it. But like, it ends up, there's definitely like, I get pricing expectations from a seller and then I bring it to market and the bids we get back are just like nowhere close. Mm. So I, we have to be honest with both sides, be like, Listen, this is what the buyers don't care because they're like, all right, we just won't buy it. Um, but the sellers are like, oh, really? Like, that was the best bid. And I'm like, that's just what the market's saying. So, if for us, it's 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 probably more beneficial for someone who owns the note or is actually buying the note than to be the intermediary between NPN trades. There's a lot more notes. Yeah, there's a lot more notes. If you're like looking to buy, there's a huge opportunities as a buyer of NPNs or as a seller, um, probably more as a buyer because, you know. Yeah, you're not getting, you're not getting great bids on, yeah. on the properties, so or you gave a, gave a loan that defaulted, so that's not great. But yeah. there's definitely opportunity there. I would say more on like buying them personally or as, or as a company rather than being on the secondary and trading them as, mm -hmm. as an intermediary. Mm -hmm. It's tough. It's funny that you say that you're seeing more residential than commercial. Not funny, but I, I agree because, and it might just be the the people where they're located that I've seen these opportunities from. Like 30% of my whole pipeline is weirdly enough in, in and around Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the non-performing notes I've gotten access to recently are all ultra luxury single family homes mm -hmm. in like Beverly Hills, West Hollywood. One of my clients is a big nine digit net worth guy based in LA. He he sent me this deal. He was gonna buy. I think the existing debt was like twelve and a half million. The house is worth seventeen, and he was he's supposed to be buying it for like nine nine yeah. and change, which is sick uh, deal if you're this guy. But a lot of the that's like right in line with a lot yeah. of those types of deals that I've yeah, seen. I don't see too many multifamily. I want to be a great dancer, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I want to I mean, be Sam Zell. I mean, this not is not two thousand eight, but, but like yeah. people, like when interest rates go up, like defaults go up, like this yeah. happens. So people, those become non-performing, yeah. and the, the the lender is stuck with them. And I mean, you've seen history say this is you now have to sell that for forty cents on the dollar, and mm -hmm. swallow your medicine. But even if you're that guy that don't right, like you, you're in default, right? You're trying to sell, you're trying to sell your note. Say you owe twelve, you're going to get nine. All right, you take a three million dollar haircut. That house is worth seventeen. The guy mm -hmm. buying it maybe he sells it for fifteen next week. You just made six million yep. bucks. You do that three times, like dude. I know a guy. You know, I bring him on the podcast. I won't even. I won't drop a name, but this guy. Oh, he's got a crazy story. No, <laughs> I know who you're talking about. He, he was. You know, he's an immigrant. Comes to this country trying to make a dollar for his family. Goes to. He does tax fraud and bank fraud. Okay, goes to jail for two years. <laughs> Gets out of jail, recovers, man. It's not it's not when you get hit that determines it, man. How, you know, it's when you get back you get up, up yep. right? So he gets back up. Now, young guy, dude, he's not even, he's like in his 40s. 6,000 units with zero investors. It's nuts. Right? And I and I said, I said, yo, I, 
ex-name. I can't say his name. I'm not going to say his name. I want, I want you guys to actually come back and listen. He, uh, I go, listen, how the heck did you do that? And he goes, I've been buying non-performing notes. Yeah. But buying non-performing notes, 70, 80% of par. Mm-hmm. And for guys that, par is like what the, what the loan balance is. Yeah, right? one for one. It's a one one. $10 million note. You buy it for $10 million bucks. Quick question for you, because I'm like I've been in real estate for I, I mean I did the math I did like forty thousand hours of real estate you yeah. know I've been in real estate a long time and par I still don't know I every three letter letter word I kind of know yeah. but par is it's is it loan balance plus like all default interest plus is it everything included or is it just the original loan balance? That's a good question. I don't even know the answer to that honestly. It's like because it, it, yeah. when I hear par two, like par, you know, when a bank quotes me a deal, they give me a quote for for debt. Par yeah. means zero origination fee, no points. Like right, right. So you it's, know, I think it's it has a different meaning in like every space. <laughs> but like in the participation world, if pick a credit union, Bethpage Federal Credit Union nope. wants to sell, has a million dollar multifamily deal or ten million dollars, and they're going to keep one and participate out the rest, other nine. And a, another credit union comes in and says, all right, I want $5 million of that. They are going to pay Bethpage $5 million for that. That's it. So that's a par deal. They're offering $5 million and they pay $5 million. Got it. If they're going to pay a one-on-one, they pay 101% of $5 million. Ah, I see, um, I see, I see. And then a discount's obviously, if oh, I bid 98, that's 98% of $5 million, So they would get whatever that math is. I'm not good at math. But um, yeah, so par in the participation secondary world, it's whatever the loan balance is or unpaid balance UPB on like a DSCR, that's par. Like penny for penny. I'm paying one for one. Got it. Got it. Uh, 103 okay. is 103% of that. So you got to pay yeah, a yeah. premium. I completely sidetracked it, but I needed to yeah, know. Sorry, yeah. So That's I, right. um, so he's going buying these 80 cents, 70 cents on par. Yeah. Whatever, wor- notes, whatever, yeah. W- yeah. whatever world that makes Whatever sense. number it is, it's a <laughs> yeah. percentage of a Whether that be the yeah. backed interest yeah. or whatever. But anyway, he's buying it discounted from the lender slightly, but most people are buying it at 40, 50. That's what yeah. the buyer market is doing. And instead of foreclosing, right? Instead of doing a loan modification, which is basically working out a deal with the lender where they can pay less interest or they less owe less money, what and, and then taking that note and selling it because you, you could re, you could repackage that in an attractive way to another note buyer in yeah, the secondary, yeah, right? Yeah. Secondary is wild. It's it really is. Basically, it's the wild west. Dude, when I heard about the secondary for the first time, I was like, this is just like you're making money out of thin air, right? Like yeah, you're taking a loan yeah. and you're just chopping it up in a different way. Yeah. But anyway, he buys these notes eighty percent apart instead of. Doing the the loan mod or doing whatever and selling it again and packaging up, he goes to the sponsor, the owner of the property, and says, "Listen, buying this note, and I don't want to foreclose on you. I done my research, John. You know you got two kids, twins, Nolan, twins, <laughs> and I don't want to foreclose on you, man. I know it's gonna do a lot of damage to you. So what, instead of you potentially do a bankruptcy and let's go into this feud, sit on the same side of the table today. Why don't we just team up?" I'll give you 10%. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take over the note. I'll give you 10% ownership. And if it's a great deal and I can negotiate a 60% part, I'll give you 20. Right. Right. You quit claim deed property over to me, which means basically just like it's not a sale. You're just transferring a deed over to another owner or, or, an owner, or, or, or another entity. And we could just be, we could just get this thing done. Who's yeah. going to say no to that? Yeah. And so, and yeah. so it's, it's basically, better than being foreclosed. Yeah. Right? yeah. You like the knight in shining armor yeah. for these people. Yeah. Uh, dude, when I was doing short sales, man, I was batting 100, uh, honestly, I'm not going to say 100, 95% <laughs> close rate on my appointments. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're helping the owner that's going to yeah. lose his property. What are you yeah. going to do, bro? Mm-hmm. Let me let you own some of it, my friend. Nobody else is doing that. Nobody's coming to help you. So he he found his riches, massive riches in the niches. 6,000 doors, bro. That's Uh, crazy. And so 
And so I'm like, I'm tired of buying properties direct to owner. <laughs> I want to find massive riches just like this guy. I can't even say his name. Well, say well his name. yeah, massive, massive riches being initiatives is, a, is a, I've never heard that, but I, I appreciate it because like when you talk about Stephen Lewis Capital, which I'm oh sure. yeah, I was just gonna say we gotta That's get to that niche right there. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so all let's right, give an intro on Stephen Lewis. All Capital. right, so again, we when I started at Vitreous Loan Group, we we like nerded out on like predicting what Fed like what Powell was gonna do. Like ran like a ton of analytics and was like, all right, this is what's gonna happen. This is what the rate will go to. Like this is like we we foresaw that. Capital markets was going to be bloodbath when it comes to the next 18 months, whatever it was. Like we kind of saw what liquidity was going to do. So I think in any business or, you know, whatever it is, like hedging is very important. Um, And at the time, our CEO was the portfolio manager on the side for a micro fund that I had not had no idea what what it was. Like I would walk into his office and he had like expel like excel spreadsheets up of like things i'm like that's not that's not loans like what are you doing it's like i'm all working for the microphone funny enough he had you know the genius idea that the 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 c-suite of the old fund he was working for it was winding down Mm. and uh looking to get out so he came to you know the other two founders and myself and was like let's take this thing over and i obviously said yes because i was like that sounds great but i had no idea what it was and we opened up a new company called Stephen Lewis Capital and took over the fund. Um, so we have a, a track record with my CEO and being the portfolio manager who built the algorithm that ran the fund. Um, but now we own it for the four of ourselves and you know some other partners. But what we do at Stephen Lewis Capital is that we are in the um, medical imaging receivable world and medical imaging factoring. So what does that mean? Um, we advance money. Um, to imaging centers, specifically doing MRIs that are attached to personal injury lawsuits. So you're an MRI center and you're in Texas and all of your patients, a number of them are tied to personal injury lawsuits. When that patient walks in the door, they are not paying for that MRI because it's part of a lawsuit. So as the MRI center, you have to, it's against the law not to give them an MRI. So they give them the MRI for free. So an MRI center experiences cash flow when you have enough patients who are part of so you're telling me that as a i'm I'm an mri center owner you just got a back injury because you just got ripped sidelined by a car yep you went to uh you're you're now suing the guy who sidelined you and you're getting an mri you get you come to my center i can't say no to you no and i give you an mri and and you're not paying for it correct that's crazy because why am I not paying for it? Because I'm part of a lawsuit. So when the lawsuit settles, if I lose, I'll either pay the medical bill or the other party who I win. Um, hopefully, the lawsuit wins. Um, you know that other side will then pay the receivable. So it's a receivable on the balance sheet. This is all right. in the interim, obviously, while the lawsuit is ongoing. Obviously, correct, okay. correct, right. So go home from here. I'm driving. I get hit. I'm suing the other person. Um, my knees busted up. I go to an MRI center. The my, first thing my lawyer says is like, "We need to know what's going on." So I go to the MRI center. I get. An MRI, I'm like, hey, I'm part of this lawsuit. Here's the lawyers, whatever, whatever. They have cash flow problems because you're giving MRIs for free. It's unreceivable in your balance sheet, so you're hoping it pays off eventually. But for now, you're out of luck. And How have- long does it take usually for one of these settlements to settle? Definitely depends, but I'll get into it as far as how, how we okay. uh, we figure it out. But So we come in and say, hey, MRI center, you have cash flow problems. And they're like, yes, we do. So we'll say we'll solve them and advance money to you on these receivables. So we'll actually advance money on the MRI receivables that are part of law, 
the personal injury lawsuit. What do you mean by advan- like like so? Give them I'm, money. Like they're gonna lend. Them. They're gonna yeah, lend against their accounts yeah, receivable. You're, against, against, you're, yeah. you're buying them yeah. or you're lending. We're advancing them? on them. Yeah. So okay, so I got. I'm an MRI center. David Choi MRI center. Right. People come. You uh, John comes to me and and he's busts his knee up. I said, damn. He's not paying for this. You got to give me the MRI either way. Either way. I find out John's a part of a litigation. I he ain't even paid. I hate this guy, right? And you're he like, gives, I need money. What, yeah, but say you got a say you got a hundred of me. You're, wait, wait, wait. So I give you I give you an MRI, and I got a hundred of these MRIs, and now I got like three thousand three hundred thousand dollars worth of people that I that owe me money. Correct. Right, and I'm waiting. And I'm waiting to get these account receivables, employees, and rent, and payroll. Or and a that bunch sounds of MRIs. like horrible. But so that so that I get a call from you, Nolan, and you say, D- David Troy MRI Center. I'm gonna I'll buy I'll, I'll advance you on your MRI images, MRI your receivables images. on your balance sheet that were tied to these lawsuits. Now, okay. Let me ask quick, not to jump in, but are you lending on a percentage of that account's receivable? Are you giving them like 100 percent, or is it 75 percent? Par. So we advance twenty cents on the dollar Holy of the crap. bill. Average MRI is twenty five hundred dollars. We advance five hundred dollars per scan on average. How, how much? Five hundred dollars per scan is our average. You're buying twenty five cents a twenty percent a par. Correct. Of, of, <laughs> no, well, no one pays twenty five hundred dollars for an MRI, right? Like the insurance is always a, a portion of it. Yeah. So yeah. As, as David Choi MRI Center, they're like, okay. Great, like you're giving me five hundred bucks a scan. I have twenty thousand scans on my receivables yeah. page. Like I need that money. Could you have a cash flow problem? You you're going to take it. Problem. Yeah, and you don't know if the lawsuit's going to settle. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're never going to get paid for that. Like this might, economy, I'm taking that. You're taking it, right? So we advance on the money, and then um, so now we own that receivable. So the lawsuit then settles. Well, you own twenty five hundred dollars worth of payments. We to own you. the actual like scan. We own the scan. So. When the lawsuit settles and there's like lean positions on settle, on lawsuits that like have to get paid out first by the other side, right? Medical is like top of the line. Wow! Yeah. And so that gets paid out first. So they're like, all right, what do I have to pay? All right, he got an MRI. I was twenty five hundred dollars. You know what? I'll I'll give you nine hundred. But hey, we own that over here, Stephen. Yeah, Capital. they're not paying David Choi MRI Center. No, they're paying you. Guys. We, paying you. We, we I should have sold it to you for nine hundred dollars. We own the note. Yeah. Well, you needed money. <laughs> So our average purchase per scan is five hundred, and our average settlement amount is nine hundred dollars. Wow, or nine fifty. So as an investor, um, we take our funds from our investors, and we you know advance on MRIs, scans, the individual scans. And when the lawsuit settles, then we collect the settled amount from the lawyers or insurance companies that have to pay for the. the Dude, so you, so you're making what is that? That that's pretty close. Well, to if you're buying your money, it's if about double your double. Your, it's, yeah. it's like a it's like a one eight one nine multiple. Are yeah. you um? How fast do these settle? Yeah, so great question. So like as an investor, when I first heard this from Steve, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is this? Like, <laughs> I was in the, you know, the S&P 500 world where I was telling, hey, it's an average 10% a year. Like it's being in it for 40 years, you're going to retire happy. And then he's like, yeah, it's like 47% a year. and 47% IRR? IRR. For, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Like, I, I, what? Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Um, 47%? Well, you got to think, right? If they're they buying, out of business, if they're, you got to think if they're, <laughs> you got to think if they're buying everything at twenty cents on the dollar, right? And yeah. you're you're effectively getting forty, you know, yeah, selling it or get or getting refunded forty right. cents, you know, you're and effectively doubling, doubling. And so, but how fast do you do you settle on average? One hundred percent. So let's say I buy ten ten million dollars of scans today. Okay, ten million dollars scans. Okay. So now I own ten million dollars of receivables. In year one, about fifty five percent of those scans have settled. 
So in year one, I'm $10 million in. I almost have $10 like million dollars back. $10 million dollars $9 back. $9 million dollars but back. The, that's only on $5 million of the receivables. Right, the other right, right, $5 right. million course, dollars yeah. are still in the lawsuit, right? Right. So by year two, about 75% of the entire pool has settled. An additional 25%. And then by year three, the entire batch should have settled. Um, right. So in three years, you should have... You know, 2X multiple. Yeah, completely yeah. completely do it. You're doing a 2X um, multiple in, in three years. You might not want to air this episode. Yeah, yeah, I'm you not going to air this one. <laughs> I know, I know. Right, well, well, what's the default risk here? What's the... Totally, I, I, yeah, let me yeah, dig in yeah. here. Like, so hey, the reason why the IRR is, is high is because like we have tranches, obviously, buckets for the hedge fund that you can go in long-term, short-term. The the real money maker for investors is if when that $10 million comes back on the $5 million in year one, we redeploy it into more scans. Immediately. Immediately. So by year end of year two, 50% of that redeployed money is settling along with 25% of the original scans that you bought. So if you roll the money over, it's, it's... Is this an evergreen fund you have here? It's ridiculous. So if you're, if is you're this like, like a perpetual fund or... It, it's an open-ended fund, yeah. It's open-ended, okay. Yeah, it's open-ended. But wow. we have three tranches that you can choose from this clawback provisions. Don't want to get too all much into, into the weeds, into but weeds, yeah. like that, that's an overview now. As investors, you're going to be like, what's going on here? Like, like what are we doing? Yeah. Because right? so, if I'm an investor, right, and I'm like, like a normal real estate deal, whatever it is, three to five year play, seven year play, like on a, if you're looking at this, if I give you five, 10 million bucks and I'm looking at this, like, all right, I want to, I want to pull all my money out in three years or five years in that well, three to five, man. yeah, in that yeah. three to five years, you're, yeah, you'll be a very happy man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Right. Now, like people don't like like lockout periods, but I'm like, if in my retail world, I was like, if you're putting money every month into uh, the S and P, like you're not going to ask for it in 24 months. Like you're making an investment. So having a lockout of 12 months, I'm like, what's what? What are we doing? 12 months is your only is your lockout period. The short period because you can get clawback provision. It is. Don't get into the weeds. Okay, but okay. There's okay. three different buckets for investors, or you can just roll it over as much as you want wow. until everything's settled. Let me introduce you to that $50 million fund guy because he may... Yeah. You know what? Yeah. He, you know what's crazy, man? He asked me, he's like, Dave, I want you to get involved in this fund because I know for a fact, I know for a fact that you could deploy into good, good investments. Um, That's crazy. And, yeah. And, and, uh, I'm it's sorry. so It's so like outside the box It's It's niche. Us. Yeah, rich is in the niche. Yeah. Right? Well... To, to talk about it a little more, like, we took it over that from a, a different fund, and, like, we were like, let's start raising money. This is too crazy to, to, like, this is insane. But what we did right was we're like, all right, we can offer it to retail investors, friends and family, and start opening it up. Um, or we can, like, go to the institutional route and, and see what we can do there. And we went the institutional route first. Because when you get an institutional investor, there's no like hiding behind, like there's no smoke and mirrors. They're doing their due diligence yeah. as far as like what their investment is. If they're a $20 billion fund, they're not going to just like give money to you without doing their background checks and running analysis and doing it all. Where, you know, a rich uncle might give you a million bucks if you told him, you know, you're opening a restaurant, whatever it is. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. Yeah. we're like, why don't we go the institutional route? And that will force us to like, have our operations down, to have all our legal docs down, to get everything, our SVP, special purpose vehicle, SPV, like set up, like have the LLC, have everything, our lawyers in check, like have it all done. And it was the worst. Like it was hard because we were trying to raise money mm. um, from institutional players. And every day it was another ask of them, so of us before they can fund. But that forced us to do all the things that we knew we eventually had to do um, as far as a fund. And then, you know, we just got our first institutional investor to invest. And now we're opening it up to retail 
which is now it's going to be easy because we just did all of the work to get an institutional wow. investor of twenty. You did the hard dollars. part first. Yeah, like a tw- if a twenty billion dollar fund is going to give you a couple hundred million or not a hundred million, like tens of millions <laughs> of dollars, they're going to make sure. Yeah, they did their of yeah, course they gonna, did their they're, homework. They're going to make sure. So you're why wouldn't legit? somebody else yeah. give you five hundred thousand? So now grand, it's, yeah. it's it's going to be much easier of like the process of raising money. Um, this is all. I mean, I was in the retail world, but. Um, everyone else was either like in investment banking yeah. or in capital markets or real estate. So not a ton of capital raising experience yeah. on the on things. So it was a lar- learning experience, but it was so valuable going the institutional route first because there's no- Well, you guys did it the, the, the other way around, right? Yeah. Like everybody Absolutely. starts with the mom and right. pops, the yeah. friends and family. family. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. smart, dude. Yeah. I'm raising money from insti- I'm a couple family offices right now, yeah. some institutional players. And, yeah. and dude, they are asking... For they're lifting oh, up my so skirt all the way, they're taking the skirt off. It took us like four or five they months. Doing a lot of damage <laughs> yeah. to me right yeah, now dude. because it is taking up a lot of hours. I was like, your background checks, this, that, everything, dude. That's everything. incredible. <laughs> Which was great, though. It's great yeah. that we have it all done, and they yeah. give they're funding us money. So that's like if I ask yeah. you for if I ask you for X, you're, you got it lined up. Yeah, right. I would yeah. Have send that finger. over to yeah. the systems are built to yeah, give you that exactly. information. So I want to ask you this because you kind of mentioned it before. I think before we started the podcast, you guys started Stephen Lewis somewhat as a hedge. Yeah. Right. So I yeah. think it'd be kind of valuable for our listeners to hear like what really. What were you hedging and, and what right. really like pushed you guys to start this? Totally. So we're in capital markets, which has everything to do with interest rates, liquidity, the economic climate. It's a secondary market and that has a ton of influence on like what's going on in the economy, right? So when we saw what Pal was doing and the entire situation of liquidity and the economy, we're like, we need to be able to ha- find another revenue stream somehow. And I mean- Thankfully, our, our CEO, Steve, is like, he's like an evil genius, and he wrote this. Yeah, he's, I love Steve. He's the best. Steve's an uh, Yeah, yeah. And they all, like, my three partners are unbelievable. But we um, were like, we need to find another stream. And with this opportunity and the C-suite retiring, we're like, this is a non-correlated, like, if the S&P is down 40% tomorrow, like, lawsuits are still happening. And yeah. it's people are still getting in car accidents. It's completely non-correlated yeah. to the market. Wow. So um, when the capital markets stink, like, and, and we're struggling to move, whatever it is, like we are, have a business that is completely non-correlated. And I think when Love you're that. working in a market, whatever market that is, when, if all your eggs are in that market and that market's not doing well, you're not going to do it. Like, yeah. it's like, it's going to be hard. No, let me you guys are question. so divert, not to interrupt. You guys are so diversified, have, have like so diversified that you're kind of not no. impenetrable, but that's what a that, lot more bulletproof than a lot of people. That's the goal. And just to, to touch on that, like you can't become too spread thin. Like that's also a risky run. Oh yeah. Big time. Because if you don't have enough resources, you're going to not put, effort into things you have to yeah, but yep. you always should find ways and look at ways of like what if this goes bad like what's going to happen like yeah. how can i make sure if this goes bad i'm still going to be i'm going to do that yeah 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 no let me ask you something this is my last question of the day okay would you have your mother-in-law invest in your funds yes yes that was a huge question for me like in the beginning of the fund we were trying to get like all of our checks in a line and i was like like we were just like so eager to like raise capital and i was like I was new to it. So I was like coming at it from like a devil's, like a devil's advocate perspective, mm. like to, to like the, the partners. And we all kind of were, we're like, all right, like, what about this? Like, what do you mean? What happens here? Like, what happens if this happens? What if a case doesn't settle? Like we, we asked all those questions and by asking those questions before, like we went out to raise monies, money, we were able to 
come up with solutions to address those questions. So like if a lawsuit loses, the medical provider has to replace that case with a new case. Oh, you're, you're, you're putting yeah. that in your advanced provisions. Yeah, so it's protected. No way. It's protected well, because that's most of the questions that when you're going to raise money, that's probably the yeah. first five questions anybody's right, so going to ask you. What if the lawsuit doesn't happen? What if this happens? Yeah. What if well, this doesn't happen? Well, you got a replacement. Right, lawsuit- you know what? I got, I got to cut you off because you know what? You get to put me out of business. <laughs> says this game is over. <laughs> Nolan, if the people want to reach you, where can they find you, my brother? Um, you can call me or text me at my cell. 201-693-2124. Um, Vitreous Loan Group. I guess I should give both emails. Um, if you're looking to move notes or paper, it's N Borgerson, B-O-R-G-E-R-S-E-N, at Vitreous Loan Group. How do you spell Vitreous? I have spell. to spell everything. V-I-T-R-E-O-U-S, Loan Group. I'll trust you guys to spell Loan Group. <laughs> and then uh, Stephen Lewis is just N Borgerson, same spelling, at Stephen Lewis. My man, it was a real pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much, Noah. Thank you, guys. It was a blast. Love you, man. Love you. All right, everybody. That's our show. If you like what you heard, do us a huge favor and give us a five-star rating and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're feeling generous, maybe even tell a friend. Word of mouth helps a lot. If you're interested in being on the show or getting exclusive invites to our Deals and Dollars networking events, you can fill out a form at dealsanddollars.com. That's deals, the letter N, dollars.com. Your hosts were David Choi, Eric Panecki, and John Labretti. The podcast was produced by me, Joshua Perna, with additional editing by Jonas DeHuse and Erwin Castillo. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.